Hello, it's Denise from Women Beyond a Certain Age. And Diane, same place. We are here today to see a legend, a legend, a writing legend, a cooking legend, Betty. An academic legend. Fussell. Did I just say that correctly, Betty? Fussell. Fussell, Fussell okay. like Russell. Fussell like Russell. You know what? We're not going back. I mispronounced <laughs> it. We started, no. this is the second try. Fussell like Russell. I should have gotten that earlier. That's okay. all right. Everybody wants to la di da it. You know, I, make it European. Yeah, it makes it, it okay. sounds fancier. You that's know? That's right, and that's why I don't like it. No. I, I appreciate it. We like you. So here's what happened. I have known Betty from days at IACP, and I met her, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago, Betty. I don't know, remember what city it was. But as I said to you, we were always invited to the same cocktail party with our friend Steve. Yum. Already yum. Remember, and you and I, I met you there, and you, I remember looking across the room thinking, I would like to be like that one day. I still haven't gotten there, so here I am today <laughs> for, a, for an, uh, an infusion of you. If we, there's so much to say. Uh, Betty has written 13 books. She has had one of her books go to, uh, to become a play. She's going to tell us all sorts of things. Um, and one of the things, and she is just with the same agent that she's always had, turned in a new book called How to Cook a Coyote. And it was a survivor's handbook for being in New York City. But her situation changed. And as the world's changed, I think she's made it's going to be even a broader, broad, broader sense than New York City because now she's a Californian living here in gorgeous Santa Barbara. And it is gorgeous. We are in Santa Barbara at this beautiful spot. You are lucky to live here. Don't it's I exquisite. It. So yes. welcome to you, Betty Fussell. Thank you. Thank you, Yay! Diane. And for letting us Denise, come, yes. come today. It's such a, it is just an absolute treat to us. It's a perfect California day, That's isn't right. it? Well, I so love to, to meet with Californians because I returned home to California. So let's, that's right, you, you were born in Riverside. Born in Riverside, literally in an orange grove. I am that old, yeah. I am 92. Yeah. Nobody remembers orange groves but me and Riverside. My husband remembers them. I know. Then he's old, like me. <laughs> well, that is true, too. But he used to go visit his grandparents in Riverside, and yes. he would tell me about the orange groves when he was very yes. little. So it was like 65 years ago. We yes. have. Yeah. It did change from oranges to ticky-tack development during World War II. Mm. Yes, yes. So tell us a little bit about your background. You grew up there. You didn't grow up there. Tell us about. I did grow up, but Riverside <laughs> was a little, a little dinky little town, and I always knew it. And yeah. I, I had a wicked stepmother, <gasps> and that was, and she fought with my grandparents who lived with us, and they, they are the ones who raised me, because right. my mama died when I was two, two, and so I never knew her. So the grandparents raised me, bless them. Uh, I feel them. them very much alive to this day, and they would be, oh, what, 100 and, <laughs> uh, let's see, up there, 167 They'd be proud. They'd be proud. They would be well, proud. Betty. Yes and no. They were very, very strict Calvinist Presbyterians. So we would have a few, yes, a few to issues. Get over. <laughs> but that is important because it excluded food. Anything that had to do with the body was animal. And so food was, you know, 
food was what you just got rid of as quickly as possible by taking an enema afterwards. Literally, remember this is the days when uh, this is the discovery of bacteria and Kellogg's Sanitarium yes. and all this jazz. Wow. You know? Yes. Wow. So food was not something to be celebrated. Oh, good God, no. It That's was, so interesting. Was, I mean, it was also sorry. depression time, and we didn't have any food because we were poor. We had cornmeal mush. Wow. And I had didn't ever taste meat uh, except for lamb on the bone in the pressure cooker. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I had my first steak not until I got to college, and I didn't even know how to cut it. My friends at Pomona College had to explain to me with a knife. You cut it and you chew it. Well, so Betty, how did you begin to love food? How did that get into your DNA and your... I didn't love food because uh, until I went to college, but then college changed my life. Wow. For the first time, I was free. I really popped like a champagne cork. <laughs> wow. Oh, I could do anything, and we did because this was 1944. And you went to Pomona College, which is a Pomona, small. There were no guys; it was just gals because they were all four Fs. And so the oh, first year, it wasn't was, because there were no; they weren't allowed. It was, it was the that war. they were the, during the war. This so is, this is a co-ed college. This right. is California. <laughs> this I, true, and my uh, brother-in-law has been a professor there for thirty-five years. Yeah. Oh, how wonderful! Yes, it's wonderful. He's the head of the political science department. Oh, that's marvelous. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm very attached to it. Oh, now. really? I thought well, it was a little dinky thing then because it's I a wanted, big deal. I wanted college. to go to Berkeley because that was far away. Oh, yeah. Oh, my that's... parents barely let me go to Pomona. They wanted me to go to um, Whittier. Whittier uh, College. Occidental because uh, that was Presbyterian. Right, right. So they definitely had the religious thing going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Boy, did I escape. I mean, boy, (laughs) was that Why did you fail them? (laughs) Because then I have have a girl, we had a girl gang that we still have some members of, and they meet every year. From Pomona College. From Pomona, and I think there are three or four of us only left now. But Betty, that is... Fantastic! It was wonderful. And, and we speaks. hitchhiked, and yep. we went down to the beach, and we drank beer. Yeah. Oh wow! You were you were free, free at <laughs> last. But it's yeah. free to long-lasting relationships with women. That's what. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, know, it's absolutely. Just wonderful. absolutely. And this was, uh, we ran the college. I mean, it was, it was what were you guys, studying? But there weren't any guys. I I began as a philosophy student, mm. and then we ran out of classes because. The, and we had, I had to go to Scripps because the philosophy department was so small at Pomona and they had a couple of more people. I see. And, but, but about the same time, then they got into symbolic logic and philosophy, and that was the end of me. I wanted comparative religion, which is what I studied. That was I mean, your, yeah. Invaluable, invaluable. Comparative so I literature. became, for one moment, I became an atheist. I thought, no, no, that's not really right. <laughs> now, now but, just one thing yeah. here, Miss Betty. How many people, how many women, so all the women were there because the men were at war or yeah. they were for us. Right. But was it hard for you to get your parents to let you go to college? And no, because, bless them, Nebraska, 
uh, Kansas, Midwest, they believed in education. Amazon. They were all farmers, but that's one thing the Presbyterians believed in was education. Excellent. Yeah. Beginning with the Bible, of course, but then you could <laughs> go onwards so long as you kept the Bible. I keep the Bible still, but it's in a shelf. <laughs> My grandparents taught me to, I could say all of the books of the Bible in under one minute. That's the way we trained on the Bible. Wow. <laughs> wow. wow. So, okay, so you graduated Pomona, and then what? Well, I, 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 it's important to say that I met my husband at Pomona because the war ended and the vets came back. Oh, that. And that was a huge shock. Of we thought we were grown-up girls. Good God. Mm. We knew nothing. Mm. <laughs> and this was a perilous time for guys. A number committed suicide, you know, post-traumatic. From the war. Oh, yeah. That. We yeah. knew nothing. We didn't know what had happened. Wow. We were still, you know, protecting our virginity. Yeah. That's what you were supposed to do <laughs> in those what? days. That takes a lot of energy. <laughs> a lot of energy and guile. You're it's, right. I just saw Doris Day in, a, in Love Me or Leave Me. Oh, I love, oh, that. I love that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Too. The longest living virgin in right. the world, <laughs> you know. And I thought, oh, my God. Thank God we changed from the 60s. You know? <laughs> really. And also but you were the sort of living when, when when you got married and had your kids, you were sort of living that sort of 50s, 60s Ozzie and Harriet life, right? Well, not until, I didn't want to get married, but my husband had gone back to Harvard. I mean, um, my husband-to-be, um, yeah. Paul Fussell had gone to Harvard, was to following his, the footsteps of his brother who was there ahead of him, and this was to uh, major in English and be an academic. Mm -hmm. um, mistake for, for my husband, who was really a good writer and should have stuck to that early. I mean, the, the, the academy turned him stuffier and he didn't <laughs> need to be. You know. Interesting. But I, so, so I had gone back to New York earlier because I was on the road and I wanted to get to Europe. That was my goal. Mm -hmm. uh, put down, I had $25 war bond which took me from my first job in San Francisco for just a few months, and I saved up enough money by not eating anything, actually. Oh this is, again, privation time, to take a train across five days and to arrive in New York, which I fell in love with instantly, mm. on the horizon. Look at that. I'll never forget, you know, today, that is my image of New York. Mm -hmm. And still no money, but I got a job within three days at Alfred Knopf in the production department. <gasps> oh, my So gosh. I was very, very excited. <laughs> of course. And then my boss, when he hired me, said, um, I really like you, and you can go far in this business, but promise not to get married. Oh, of course not, I said. <laughs> well, within six months, I was engaged, damn, <laughs> for him. Always felt, you know, guilty about that. Sidney Jacobs, his name was. Ah. Typ typical, I mean, we were all secretaries to Yes, him. of course. Of and course. typical of the time of having to do with food and drink, any work that had to be done would be done by him in the morning because it was the three martini lunch. And he'd come in about three o'clock just as we were getting ready to go home. He would pinch a few bottoms and that was the end of the day. And he was taken for granted. All those movies are right. Oh, portray yeah. this. I, well, movies are always, they're both shapers and reflectors. I yeah, mean, this absolutely. Is, I, I mean, love the movies. Yeah. <laughs> it was shaped by them entirely. Continue that, to be. I can. That's an interesting well, um, I concept. Think that, uh, shaped by films, shaped by TV, 
or what's now. Now, was TV was streaming. was was no. latter day in right, my time. Right. I mean, you know, but we I'm didn't even saying, have a TV set until the late in today, 60s. In, I think in today's society, I agree with you, Betty. I also think, and that's why social media has become such a big deal because it's another form of other, you know, of shaping people. Well, any popular culture yep. is any. Yep. That's and exactly all together, right. I mean, you know, music shapes us. Uh, pop music shapes us as much as anything. Yeah, it is the international music, language, film, and so yeah. is film because you yeah. don't have to see the words. That's right. But you have, but those images are forever, particularly when you're young. All right. So wait a minute. You so got now the job. You, well, <laughs> you got the job, but now you got engaged. So we're holding on to find out what happened. You lied to your boss, and you lied. got engaged. Yes, and then I came home. I mean, you came to work and told him, and he said, "I knew it. I knew you would." <laughs> And we got married that June in Cambridge in 1940. Oh my gosh, off oh, 1949. Uh, I was one year old. You were one year old, you baby. <laughs> Don't feel like it most days, but yeah. Well, I was married at 21 and my husband at 24, and that was absolutely typical. Yes. In my high school, I was the only one of my gang who hadn't gotten married. Right. That's Bye. old. 21, right? Right. That was old for being that getting married. That was old. And by 22, they were having their, their first kid. Of course yeah. they were. I didn't have my first kid until I was 29 because something told me, I'm not ready for kids. <laughs> no. God Betty, Thank God wonderful. it did. <laughs> I would have been. I mean, I would have been a wreck if I'd had a kid. At so you had time to have your own life with your uh, husband with at my, the time. Yeah. And yeah. we had a ball. Yeah. He was. We were perfectly matched as a couple without children. I because see. we were both totally devoted to the arts, to music, to and we got to see opera. We, I mean, you know, in the in the East Coast, we were in heaven because it was all concentrated. You could see it yes. all in Boston and Cambridge. And then we went and taught at, our first job was at Connecticut College. I was always the little ancillary, free, free faculty wife <laughs> as a, that was, they, we came cheap, you know? Yeah. Even though the first thing was the nepotism laws. Oh no, if you're married to a faculty, you can't teach. But then of course, they ran out of cheap teachers. <laughs> Oh, you knew you could always get a job somehow. It's interesting an when you look back. I think $3,000 a year was my first. Um, so that was thing. in, where were that you? That was in New London, Connecticut, a Connecticut college for women. Right. And we were there until, uh, I think for, oh my God, the women were so smart. I've never <sighs> met smarter women, more smart, <laughs> smarter women in my life. But they were by almost definition unmarried you know you had to make a choice yes and they were very clear about that the women were very tough on me they're a lot tougher on another a younger woman than they were on guys you know this, this is, is really important what you're talking about right well, now it's, it, because you're the it's also absolutely current in women in the workforce yes what's happening the me too movement i mean it's all just yes we're just the reflection of the groundwork Betty, that's what I think of the groundwork. Yeah, so you were, it was just the beginning, yeah, uh, tremblings of what was to come in terms of how women. Well, but, but this was complicated. In the war, women counted because of if they weren't in the services, they were Rosie the Riveter. Yeah. You know, right. So, so yes. women had positions. 
That's they got a, a taste of that. They understood what it was. So they felt needed and in they something were other needed than being and they housework. Were they were skilled without having had the uh, the same opportunities, mm -hmm. but they quickly became skilled, of oh, course, okay. in whatever jobs yes. they had. That was cut dead by the return of the vets, really dead. Yes. And for the next five, ten years, um, it was reflected because somebody said, if there's in the academic world, if there's a choice between a man and a woman, I'll take a man because he's got he's the breadwinner yeah, by definition, yes. and the woman's going to get pregnant. That's right. Right. Yeah. And biologically, that remains true. <laughs> it, but things have correct. changed, you, but, to say that. Some have correct. and some haven't. I, I mean, agree, Betty. Is, I am not, uh, I have arguments all the time with, at my, from my generations, yeah. with girls who say, we are absolutely the same as guys. No, you're not the same no, as guys. No, that's not, that's and not accurate. You know, when you point out to that, Betty, I, I know this, in food, working yeah. in food. Now, cookbook author, sure. You could have babies at home. That's if what I did. I oh, had my daughter, and right. I was able to write books. But and I had a radio yes, show yes, at home. But that is not that is not a restaurant. No, but <laughs> and that's you, but I I specifically chose not to yeah, open a restaurant. Of course, but of course, women that want to run restaurants and they want the same amount of money or exposure or the opportunities that a restaurant chef gets because that's where most people look first. For now, yeah, yeah for most of it, um, they don't have children because they, they are having to make decisions. They're running these kitchens. Most of them don't have children. And I don't know if that's And I think they're right. I think they look at that choice squarely. Yeah. And it is a choice. Yeah. And you I know can't a lot do of chefs who have children. Yes. yes. And it's like, I a killer. <laughs> It's a killer. I think of in percentages less, Diane. I just was reading an article, and the only reason. Really? From, yeah. But sure, some of them have had children. Thank God. Hopefully, they have a support system. Hopefully, they've made a little money. Hopefully, they've got yeah. a, a nanny. Yeah, they've got some help. They've got a partner. Yeah. Right. It's pretty difficult. Uh, yeah, yes, that, it is. Yes, it is. And, they, and they, you face an entirely different set of problems, and you better have the build of a soccer player. Uh, You've got you, to be really athletic as yes. a chef. And that is, you know, a lot of women yeah. are. Yeah. But uh, it doesn't allow time for anything else. And if that's okay with you, good. It may not be okay with your kitchen staff. That's right. But <laughs> no, it's true. I no, mean, those it, are the choices one makes. And when you were at your point, when you were trying to figure out what your next step was, how did it affect you that you had kids and that you were trying to do other things? This is... So personally for me, I was always a horizontal person. I was always into a whole lot of other different things. So I never thought of myself as a career person. I never saw myself as a teacher. I, all I knew was that I wanted to act, but I didn't want to be on Broadway because mm -hmm. I knew from actress friends that I wasn't that kind of person. Everything had to go through my head. I was not a good mimic. I didn't, autom my body didn't automatically move. I learned that early on, thank God. Mm -hmm. So I never had that, those mistaken career drives. Yes. But, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just wanted to live fully. And we traveled and that was our, wow. Yeah. So we had the world at our fingertips because everything was cheap because the dollar meant something. So yeah. we could, Remember those days? Teaching, you know, there's nothing but the boats. The boats were taking transatlantic 
uh, lighters. I mean, they were full of students, our students and teachers, people we knew. Yes. So it was like a happy party. Uh, and we lived in France, in France and England and spent a year in Germany. I mean, this was heavenly, 50s, 60s, 70s. Yeah, it was, it was a big change. Great travel time. So Great travel time. Okay, so then we're doing your your timeline. <laughs> okay, Chron chronology I'm never fond of. Okay. <laughs> Only because we're trying to get to sort of... We don't want to miss <laughs> something, Betty. We're making you go That's in chronological right. order. Well, Betty, you, just, you had the most wonderful comment. You just said, I just knew, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew that I wanted to live my life fully. fully. Now, to me, that's just inspirational to hear, and I, I'll tell you why, Betty, just... And then we want to go back to your timeline. I'm semi-retired. I'm cutting back. I'm cutting back. I'm cutting back. And one of my clients that I've known for years said, oh, Denise, you're too young to retire. I said, I'm retiring from working a 60-hour work week. I'm not retiring from life. Right. I yeah. want the opportunity to do other things, to live my life fully. I, I, I've had a great career in food. I'm kind of tired of food. I'd like to know more, have more time to know about writing other things. And yes experiencing other things and I've always traveled yes. so I'm grateful for that but what you just said living you knew you wanted to live your life fully when people have you know it's pointing north when the compass is pointing in the right direction I think they end up like you well you don't <laughs> but you don't know it's north and you don't know no. it's the right direction you just know what and you know that's the excitement because right. that go. compass can change a lot you know yeah. so can the magnet you know so does the north pole and the north pole melts under climate change you know all of these exciting things that you don't count on. But what That's I knew right. early and find it invaluable, I have choices, but I am not in control. Like, I'm not in control of the tsunami, of the mudslide, Correct. of the forest fires. In the big things, I didn't birth myself. I arrived. I'm not going to death myself either. I might get hit by a car tomorrow. Forget how much I've dieted or did this or did that in the exercise. No, it'll happen when it happens. Everything can happen today. Yeah, I think that's a wonderful thing for us to take in and just put in our own head. Yeah. Because it's it's true. You have to be to me. Gratitude is what it's all about in terms of what you've experienced. Well, yeah, I, it's not always good. grateful because I mean. Oh, but death, bad and good. Death has all sides to it. Absolutely. But I am fascinated most by, and this is what the Coyote book is about. Yeah. Please tell us. About, it is in New York, survival from, from other people, 80 million people on a rock. Ugh. You know, <laughs> I'm going to be trampled under. Here, it's, I mean, you face, everybody who's here is facing the last chapter. So instead of being young, you think, oh, well, sure, I mean, everybody dies, but that's tomorrow and that's somebody else. That's know? right. It's always but somebody every else. Every day we live, people are dying. Sometimes um, we're responsible for, as in the drone wars, we're killing people all the time. Okay, in the America's longest war in our history, how much does that hit the news, kids? It's old news. But we don't pay attention to that. Yeah. So every time we look, we say don't don't talk about death that's that's pessimistic so my book is about the opposite it is death is at the center and up front 
death, death is maybe the biggest change that can happen to you in your lifetime. It's wonderful. But the earlier you are ready for change, the luckier you are and the more you are in training for the big change. Because I was lucky in that I knew about death from the death of my mother. I yes. knew that it existed and would affect me always. I was ready to get out of Riverside. Boy, did I want that change. Go explore the world. Uh, the, the further change, the better. I was also running away, running away from uh, not knowing how to deal with a wicked stepmother and the fact that I didn't have a working family, etc. And then that repeated when I realized after 32 years of marriage that that was not working and not going to work no matter what I did and finally read through, forced myself to see what it was going to be for the rest of my life. And instead of having a nervous breakdown, I left and went to New York. A big change, but it was going back to the city I'd fell in love with, you know, 40 years earlier. And making a gigantic change like that after 32 years of marriage, okay. Betty, just speaks to your bravery because most of us find out that we don't make, I think, a lot of people, the reason they're unhappy, they don't make changes because they're afraid. Exactly. You know. Well, we're, yeah, and we're all afraid of, of, of something and of different course. things, and that depends an awful lot on how much experience we've had. And there are people who've locked themselves in their little closet without knowing it, and they all stay afraid. Years, you know, and, and they, they stay, stay that way, and that's yeah. the saddest thing of all. I know this, Betty, because I lived through my generation of the AIDS epidemic, yes. where I literally, I was catering. How many men, do you, cater waiters? Yes. I, I was the chef. I had a hundred beautiful young men that worked for me in my business. And as they started dropping dead of AIDS, is exactly yes. what you're saying, it taught me that I better really live my life. Yes. Because death gives meaning to lives because exactly. it, you know, it, it exactly. is what it is. Now, first of all, we're going to say, we're, this is just part one that we have just done with Betty, because there's too much to talk about. Yes. So we're going to have, <laughs> we're going to have a part two that we hope you'll all listen to. And, and then also on the website, you know, you can go to our website, which is Women Beyond uh, a Certain Age, Facebook and Instagram also. You want to go to womenbeyondacertainage.com. Um, you can always listen to any of our previous or um, podcasts. But we're gonna, we want to talk to Betty some more because we've just touched the surface of yes. what's interesting. Yeah. Um, so thank you. And if you have something you want to ask Betty or something tell tell us and write to us at womenbeyond at icloud.com and we because we may have to come back for a second trip oh i'm excited already <laughs> but stay tuned because the best is yet to come and yes. there is going to be another episode so goody bye-bye <laughs> thank bye. you